Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack. Today, in remembrance of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, Andrew's joined by pro-life activist Kristen Hawkins. If you actually believe in your heart that abortion is the killing of a unique whole living human being that's never existed before and will never exist again, if you truly believe that's what abortion does, how can you stay silent? And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Thursday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm doing another special day of programming. This is the 47th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision that legalized abortion in America. And every year, we do something just to keep this issue in front of people and to let them know that, man, this is something that the body of Christ needs to be dealing with. Today, I've got Kristen Hawkins with us. And Kristen, you've got two children with cystic fibrosis and these problems that you're talking about. So does, is their life not valuable? How, how, how do you feel about them? And how, how's your relationship? Well, of course, my children's life has value. They're, they are equally valuable to their other siblings, right? Um, and I would say that if you've ever met somebody with cystic fibrosis, if you've ever met someone who has Down syndrome or any of these other genetic abnormalities, you will agree that they are the light of everyone's life, right? Who meets them, that they bring something unique to this world that I don't have, that my husband doesn't have, that just their, their very presence. I remember one time I was speaking with uh, a pastor about, you know, why? Why did God give me? two children with cystic fibrosis. So everything else I have to handle, you know, it's a very selfish, really, mindset you, you go through. Because um, it's not about you, it's about your children. And, but he, I remember him talking about, you know, the unique graces that they have, that this special grace that these children will have. And it's so true. Like, if you meet my Gunner and Gracie, you know there's something special and unique and holy about them. How's their attitude? Are they depressed, discouraged, or? Well, you know, mental health is a huge issue within the cystic fibrosis community. They've actually, you know, been doing a lot of studies of showing a large percentage of CF patients suffer from depression, anxiety. My son has anxiety. Um, he's 10, and we've, we've had some very real conversations this year. This year, I sat him down, and I explained to him what happens in the abortion. He obviously hears me talking about it a lot. So I, he's ready, he was ready for it, so I, I explained it to him. And then I, and I told him how 95% of kids like him are aborted. And, um, 95%? Mm-hmm. Do you and have any idea how many children that is that have been aborted because of cystic I, fibrosis? I don't know. I can tell you there's about 30,000 people, patients with CF here in the United States. We have the majority of CF patients here in the United States. Worldwide, there's only 70,000 of them alive. Um, and so we do know it's, it's very rare uh, but it, it is, um, it's, a, it's a hard subject. Like I, I talked to Gunnar about the fact that people abort kids just like him. And you know, his face, he just, why? Why would anyone do that? I, you know, and, and it was a hard conversation, but it's made him a, a very firm advocate. But you know, um, Kristen, you giving this testimony, see, puts a face mm-hmm. to these things. People just hear this, that about a child may have some mm-hmm. abnormality, and so therefore it's compassion to kill them, but now that your children are alive and a mm. part of your life, could you imagine what your life would be without them? Ab- absolutely not. Like they've they've fundamentally transformed my life and the meaning that I, that I have for the life. And what what is it? What is am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be making, I'm supposed to be making human beings who are going to go and live in heaven and glorify God for the 
for the rest of eternity. That's actually my number one job. If you're not leading people to Christ, if you're not making these saints who are going to go live with him for eternal life, then what else are you doing? Like, that's my number one job. Uh, and Gunnar Gracie make my life easier. The other two might make my life a little harder. But Gunnar Gracie are really, they're, they're easy saints in the making for that. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a hard discussion to have. And so, but I think it was important for Gunnar to understand that, that he, his life has value just like everybody else's. His life is different. He requires extra medical care, and it's very expensive medical care, but he's just as valuable as anyone else walking on this earth. But there's just this kill the sufferer, not, you know, end that sufferer, don't end the suffering. And this is a common question. This is a common question. And I believe it's actually a ruse. It's not about that child. It's about the parents not going through the extra needs and attention and stuff. And it's really selfish. They can wrap it any way they want. It absolutely is. There was an article in uh, The Cut. It's a New York Times kind of magazine a couple years ago from a mom, Dudley's mom. And I read it. Her son was born with cystic fibrosis. So she sued the OBGYN for wrongful birth because she said, well, clearly if, if, if the amniocentesis and the CVS had come out, Prove that he had cystic fibrosis. I would have aborted him, and now I, you know, I, that my child. Her argument was, my child is now going to suffer because I didn't abort him. She is going to suffer, is what it amounts to. That's exactly. And what she it saw is. an opportunity to get some money out. I, man, just living yeah. for themselves. My children are going to suffer in their life, and my children's lives will probably be shorter than their siblings' life. I may outlive my children. I'm going to suffer. My husband's going to suffer. My family's going to suffer. And it's not something, you know, not a day goes by that I don't think about that impending suffering that's going to happen. But it doesn't change the value that my children have. And look at the relationship and the memories mm-hmm. and the love mm-hmm. and that's all right. of the things that you have in between. Yeah. Suffering, yeah. It's, it, it, I, like I said, I think there's something wrong where we, we consider suffering this ultimate evil. But there's, there's good things that come out of suffering. And, you know... I've I've heard people before say something like, uh, you know, I've got to abort because I can't raise them. I don't have the money or whatever. And I would never put them out for adoption. I would never adopt my child out. And so I'll kill it instead. That is so perverse, the thinking that people have. It's selfishness is what it is. I heard it all the time at the Pregnancy Resource Center. I would ask a mom, what are you going to do if this test comes positive? Are you going to parent, abort, or adopt? And always would be parent or abort, never adoption. <laughs> like That's, adoption is evil, well, but I mean, murder's not. Hollywood has done a very good job of painting adoption as a negative, right? Of kids who are placed for adoption becoming psychopathic murderers or whatever. Um, so I think there's been a cultural thing that has painted adoption negatively. But I think ultimately it's it's once again it's the suffering of there is no more courageous thing you can do as a woman than to place your child with an adoptive family. I mean, that you've carried that child in your womb for nine months. You've felt your baby kick. There is a natural relationship that is formed, that bond that is formed. You've given birth. You've gone through the pains of childbirth. And then you're going to hand your child over to someone else. And you're not going to have a say in how they're raised. I mean, that birth mothers are the most courageous mothers out there because they've realized I can't provide for my child the way I want to, but I know someone else can. And, but that's going to be hard. That's going to entail suffering. 
And that's what really, when you hear this argument, of, I could know, never do adoption. We had Melissa Oden on the first two days of this week, and I know that y'all are friends and stuff. And I, one of the things I appreciate about her is the way she talks about her adoptive parents. They are her parents, even though she's now reconnected with her birth mm -hmm. mom, but she honors them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my own mother was abandoned at birth and never knew her parents, never uh, and the courthouse burned down the year after she was born. And so all records of her birth are gone. And she never knew her birth parents. And people would make fun of her. And she would respond by saying, my parents chose me. Your <laughs> parents had to take what they got. And I've always looked at adoption because of her perspective as a honor. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It absolutely is. And I think we need to do a better job as Christians, too, of how do we talk about adoption? How do we encourage adoption? Even how do we treat women who come into our church as pregnant? Uh, and how do we help them and, and love them and surround them? Because, you know, you have women who are walking around unmarried. I remember when I was pregnant with my first son, and you know, I was 23 and I was married. And uh, but people would always look down my wedding ring you know, finger to see if I was married before they start talking. I'm like, stop doing that, Christians. Like, don't you don't know what her story is. You don't know. She might have been a victim of sexual assault. She might be carrying a child that she didn't want to have. She might be making adoption plans. So I think we have to do a better job is how we talk about adoption. How do we help these young mothers and come around and surround them and show them you've got every support system you need right here in our church. Well, there is no doubt that an unplanned pregnancy poses lots of problems, uh, especially for a single mom and things like that. But murder is yeah. never the solution. That's right. Ever. That's right. And, and single motherhood is hard. And we know a child who's born to a single mother is you know, four times as more likely to live in poverty. Um, and so we, we have a lot of work to do as a society because that's not the gold standard, right? We all know that for her and for her child. But there are going to be cases where there's going to be single moms, especially as we talk about a post Roe v. Wade society where abortion is going to be made illegal. You're going to have women who would have gone and had abortions who now are not going to be legally allowed to have an abortion. So you're, we may have more single mothers than we have today. And the question is, what are we doing to serve those single moms? And how do we help them find community and find that family? Because that's a difficult road for both her and her child. You just said something that is a shocker to some people. You just made it like a statement that we are going to have a post Roe versus Wade society. Absolutely. Probably before President Trump was elected, people would have called you absolutely crazy they for did. making stuff. <laughs> did they? So you so you were saying things like that prior to 2016? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I remember when I first started Students for Life, I would go up and I'd introduce myself and say, hi, I've launched Students for Life of America. We're equipping young people to talk about abortion. We're a post-Roe organization. We're preparing all these kids to lead in the States when Roe's reversed. Wow. And a mentor of mine said to me at one time, I was doing this fundraising event in New York City, and he, you know, a lot of jaded folks there. He said, you need to stop saying that. It just makes you sound crazy. Like no one believes what Nobody's going to take you serious if you believe. Yeah. Our I also got a lot of job offers too when we started Students for Life of, that's so great. Good for you. If you, if you need a job in six months, come and see me, right? All uh, right. So uh, things have changed. Do you really believe that we could see the overturn of Roe versus Wade? Absolutely. I do believe we can see it. Um, our mission on our website is abolish abortion in our lifetime. And that always scares the pro-abortion reporters. Now, speaking about your website, what is that? What's the website? Studentsforlife.org. Mm -hmm. 
And what do you have there? What kind of resources? Oh, we have all kinds of resources. If you're a parent or grandparent, you want to get your young person involved in the pro-life community, get them active in their school. We can get them signed up. We have a national pro-life summit, which is this week in Washington, D.C. I would encourage everyone. It's on Saturday, January 25th. You can tune into the live stream. Every national pro-life organization and leader is going to be there speaking. It's going to be incredible. It's, it's going to be a great way if you're sitting at home and you're motivated from listening to Melissa, listening to me, you can sit down to your computer, watch the event, or join us in person if you're in D.C., but you're going to get your marching orders. And where is it going to be here? Washington, D.C., right? Where the March for Life is going to be this Friday. I mean, is it going to be on the mall or are you It's going to be at a hotel uh-huh. in Washington, D.C. We've got 3,000 people coming. Um, what's so great about it, what I've been so excited is that, you know, we've had this for 20 years, Students for Life is, you know, we've tried to have a student pro-life conference in Washington, D.C., and it's the largest in the world. But this year... We've combined force with with other pro-life organizations, Heritage Foundation, Live Action, Alliance Defending Freedom, and it's all ages, all generations together, and really uniting the pro-life movement. Because that's really, as we look forward to a post-Roe America, there's a lot of work we've got to do, and we actually have to be united as one. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward. I to remember it. when you were with us at what we called the event in 2018, you got up and spoke in just for like five minutes. And I was just impressed at how positive you were. I mean, you were standing up saying that we are winning. This is going to be overturned. And I had never heard anybody speak as confidently as you had in that. So what? what's your basis of this? Is it because of what you're seeing happen, why are you so It's confident? absolutely, I wish I could you know, miniaturize everyone and stick you in my pocket. You could witness the conversations we're having on campuses. It's because we're on the campuses where we're talking to young people of, they don't even, they may not know how to identify themselves as pro-life or pro-choice and they'll be very confused if you ask them. But if you actually ask them about the issue of abortion, they're like, oh, I'm against that. Um, we're winning when it comes to young people Praise when we talk God, about abortion. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Man, this is good news. And I know that our viewers, you know, we we hear all the negative things like uh, New York and all of these places that are actually passing these laws that once a child is born, if they are born alive, they have the freedom to let them die. And you hear this and it makes you think, man, this is terrible. It's going in the wrong direction. What's your take on that? Never doubt the power of our God. (laughs) And we serve an almighty God who spoke the world into existence. Surely he can work through us to abolish abortion. But actually, I think it's more of a indication that the liberals see that they're losing. And this is a desperate act on their part because, uh, and you can give me the details, you're a lot more involved in this than I am, but when Roe versus Wade is overcome, it'll probably not be like outlawing abortion. That's right. It'll kick it back to the states. And so they are anticipating this and trying to position themselves for post-Roe versus Wade. Exactly. And that's why you saw what happened in New York State this year, um, Illinois, California, passing some of these horrendous pro-abortion laws. And I think that's what pro-lifers and Christians understand. We're in phase one of our objective. The first objective is to reverse Roe and Doe. So Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton, those are the two decisions that legalize abortion in all nine months. Most people don't even know about Doe. It's very, I, I, I'm not really familiar. You have to talk about Doe because Roe v. Wade actually only legalized abortion in the first trimester. Doe v. Bolton legalized abortion throughout all nine months using a loose definition of mother's health. 
the same day. The same day? Their companion, it's a companion case. So it's Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton. So they were handed down in 1973 on the exact same day, and they effectively made abortion legal in all nine months for whatever reason. This is why a lot of times when you hear polling about, oh, the majority of Americans support Roe versus Wade, it's because they only say the first three months. They never, they never talk about Doe versus Bolton and the fact that it's actually legal unless the state prohibits and the Supreme Court allows the state to prohibit. It's actually legal in all nine months because of that companion case. So phase one for us in the pro-life movement has been to reverse Roe and get the decision to go back to the states because before January 22nd, 1973, majority states had outlawed abortion. There was no legal abortion. States like Colorado, Hawaii, New York, California, the usual suspects, had it's legal a shame abortion. that Colorado's included in there. We're we're making a difference. We are. We had a meeting yesterday with Congressman Forbes and some of the leaders mm -hmm. in the entire state, and we're taking this state back. Good. Yeah. It needs to be. It needs. There's no reason Colorado should be going in the direction it's been going. It, no, we've got you know in Colorado Springs, I forget the exact number, but over 200 parachurch ministries that have reaches all over the world, and we, it's a center. It is. It really is. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to Colorado Springs. Which ministry are you going to talk to? Wow. Everyone knows. Yeah. So I mean, phase one is reversing Roe. Phase two is then working state by state to make abortion illegal. And also unthinkable of making sure the resources we're providing to women and men are actually well advertised and marketed. One of the challenges, one of the things that wakes me up in the middle of night sometimes is, are we ready for a post-war America? Like, do we have all the resources she's going to need? When Planned Parenthood shuts their doors, is every single woman who's facing an unplanned crisis pregnancy, is she going to know where she needs to go? And I actually believe we actually do have the resources. Yeah. We have more than 2,600 pregnancy resource mm -hmm. centers, more than 8,000 federally qualified health center community health care clinics. My biggest concern is we're not very good at marketing ourselves, of saying, here's who we are. Here's the one national number you can call, because a lot of our pregnancy centers, we're all kind of independent. So I think for us pro-lifers, we need to do a better job of saying, this is what pro-life is. Here's who we are. Here's all the resources. Well, just to that point, uh, Planned Parenthood has, what, less than 600 mm -hmm. Planned That's Parenthood, right. and yet they occupy this position that if somehow or another they were closed down, women would just be without any resources, and they are a very small percent, and plus, they're 90-something percent of their business is all abortion. If you give those statistics, if we were to lose parent, sure. Planned Parenthood, how would that affect women? Planned Parenthood says they serve about 2.1 million Americans a year. If every Planned Parenthood would shut down tomorrow, something I pray for daily, every federally qualified health center, those 8,000 federally qualified health centers that we already fund with taxpayer dollars, they would only have to see two more patients per week to make up the difference. That's a, because those federally qualified health centers, they're serving t more than 21 million men. And yet they children. have the marketing that they are the predominant health care provider right. for women. It's and all it's, marketing. It's, because it's, these federally qualified health centers, these are independent community health care clinics. You have to go to find a health center dot hrsa hrsa dot gov you put in your zip code and it tells you where all the federally qualified health centers are for the pro life movement you go to optionline.org and you find all the pregnancy resource centers and maternity homes but planned parenthood spends tens of millions of dollars a year advertising and making it seem like they're this necessary thing that all american women need um, it, i mean four out of five american women will never even step foot inside of a planned parenthood um, so it, it's not the numbers that you think it is, despite what the rhetoric you hear. 
And I'm sure that you're aware that Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Sanger. And what was her goal in starting Planned Parenthood? Yeah, I mean, Margaret Sanger was a known eugenicist. She believed certain classes, certain types of human beings should not have the ability to reproduce. Um, she'd spoken for female KKK rallies. Uh, one of her first board members was actually a member of the KKK, Lothrop Stollard. Um, they trained, the Nazis actually learned eugenics from the Americans. And she, Hitler was one of her uh, people that she admired. Then, yeah, the Nazis came here in the 1920s uh, to learn eugenics from Americans. There's actually a good documentary. If you go, it's Ma'afa 21. I think you can get on YouTube now. Ma'afa is a Swahili word for great tragedy. It's M-A-A-F-A 21. A friend of mine put it together and it starts actually with Darwin and his book and his cousin who invented you know, modern eugenics. And it goes all the way through and it connects all the dots and things make so much more sense when you're like, oh my gosh. Did you know the American, you know, Eugenetics Council was actually the American Eugenics Council? And the first president of the American Eugenics Council was the second president of Planned Parenthood. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you've never even thought of how they've all been interconnected and woven together. And one of those groups that Margaret Sanger specifically wanted to target and stop reproduction was African-Americans. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, she started it to eliminate the black population in the U.S. And what percentage of abortions are done among African-Americans? It's about 36%. So and yet they occupy what? 13% of the population. And so it's way disproportional. Two to three times as In New many. York City, a woman who's pregnant, a black woman who's pregnant is more likely to have an abortion than to give birth. There's actually more black babies being aborted in New York City than are being born. And I think I mentioned this at the start of our interview yesterday, but uh, I heard this stat that now abortion is like the second leading cause of death in the world. Have you heard anything along those I've lines? I've heard that it's the number one leading cause of death. Oh, I'd number be, one. I'd be interested to see what what stat said it's number two. Well, it might have been because China. I mean, you think about our abortions here in the United States are decreasing. Uh, when I started in the pro-life movement, we were over 1.3 million. That was 18 years ago. I'm aging myself. Um, but now we believe it's fewer than a million abortions a year. Now, the problem with our abortion numbers, which most people don't know this, is we don't actually have a national abortion reporting requirement. So we don't really know. We're relying on the abortion industry to self-report to the Alan Guttmacher Institute, which is you know a sister organization to Planned Parenthood. That's how we get our... I mean, it's totally backwards. Every other country has, you know, if a woman's dying from an abortion or she has a faces a, a severe side effect, it's all reported. We don't actually even have any of that data. But we do believe the abortions are actually fewer than a million today. So that's actually good. So the abortion but rate is China, going down. The Why Chinese, is that? Chinese abortion rates are Is horrific. it these pregnancy centers and the pro-life movement or what is causing the abortion rate I definitely rate think you, you, have, you have a few things. You have ultrasound technology. So when we're on college campuses, you know, that rhetoric of it's a blob of tissue, it's nothing, doesn't really hold water You know, anymore. we've started three uh, pregnancy centers in this area, and each one of them, I think, focus on the family is the one that provided them with the ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the process when they do a pregnancy test. And I forget the percentage, but it's huge. It Once that woman sees that this is not a blob of tissue, you can see the fingers and the toes, the vast majority of them choose to keep their That's toe. right. The, the challenge is getting them to actually do the ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Because getting a woman to sit down and have the ultrasound, it's hard because she knows she's going to be challenged. So, yeah, I mean, I think you have 
the fact that we've all seen our brothers and sisters in ultrasound. I think a lot of us know someone who's had an abortion, and we realize that you're a abortion changes person you. Talking. Yeah. Because back when I was, uh, you know, having kids and stuff, you didn't even know what sex they were before they were born. <laughs> you didn't know these things. And oh, now I have you're 40 just, ultrasounds of my kids. I knew exactly what they were going to And now you're just born. talking about everybody's seen an ultrasound. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have you have so many who have personal stories of abortion. The, the research that I mentioned earlier that we're doing with these mushy middle, one thing came very clear in all these interviews we're doing. No matter who we were interviewing and how they position their feelings on abortion, Every single woman we interviewed admitted that abortion fundamentally changed her friend. Yes. That, that no matter what reason or whether she thought the abortion was for good reason or not, that her friend was never the same. And so I think that really helps us as well. So in two minutes, we only got two minutes left. Speak to those mushy middle or whatever you call them, the ones who are Christians and they believe it's wrong, but they don't want to get involved. They don't want to face the, you've said you've gotten death threats. How do you speak to people that? Like I would say not to be afraid. We know who it is we're serving. We also knew that we're called to spread his truth and his light. And as part of that, that means telling the truth about abortion, being unafraid to speak up when your colleagues or someone at church disagrees with you about abortion, to be, be able to speak truth and love. And, and you don't have to do it in a way where you're demeaning someone or you're screaming at someone, but you're called to speak the truth and you have to be unafraid. And as Christians, and I actually think, you know, as we look at what's going on in our world today as Christians, we're going to be increasingly called to be courageous because we will face persecution. Um, and so I, I think you can't be afraid to speak truth. And if you actually believe in your heart that abortion is a killing of a unique whole living human being that's never existed before and will never exist again, if you truly believe that's what abortion does, how can you stay silent? Would you stay silent on any other issue? If you knew a child was being beaten routinely by his parents, would you stay silent and say, well, child abuse is wrong for me and my children, but that's okay if he wants to be his children? Absolutely not. No one would say that. But with abortion, it's always different. Thank you, Kristen. I sure appreciate what you're doing. And man, I'm excited. And I agree with you. We are going to see the end of legal abortion in the United States in our lifetime soon. We will. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And again, those of you who've been watching, I hope you get this product. We're going to have everything that we've said here with Kristen, our interview with Melissa Oden. We also have interviews with Carrie Fisher, who was actually survived an abortion. We've got a woman who gave her child up for adoption and 88 years later connected with them. And uh, I mean, there are some things on here that will really bless you. Listen to our announcer and please call or write today. Today's interview is available on a special Choose Life USB flash drive. Also included on this flash drive, you'll find several more interviews and testimonies relating to abortion. This Choose Life USB flash drive will be accompanied by the Observing All Things booklet that contains many statistics and scriptures with regard to abortion and other social issues. You can get these valuable resources today for a gift of any amount. Also, Andrew would like to offer you the Observing All Things booklet absolutely free. Go to awmi.net to receive this free offer today. This special offer is limited to one free booklet per household. 
We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. 